This series on a movement is going to be a tough one for me to preach and for you to hear many times. My name's Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the garden. And we're going to be doing this series for probably about three more weeks, maybe four, depending on how quick you are on the uptake. So, um, but this is the new logo we've decided on for the series. So just take a minute. Um, This is a description of what will be happening to you. If you do things that make us feel like you think the church is an institution. I won't be doing the smacking, of course, because I'm not here during the week. But Pastor Bruce will. (laughs) Although I'm more like Batman than he is, he'll still be doing the smacking. So, guys, the movement that the church is supposed to be is very difficult. And one of the reasons it's difficult is because, frankly, comfort is a hard thing to shake. See, we need the church to be a movement. And I've been thinking about this, and it occurs to me that the Scripture teaches very clearly that one of the key ingredients for the church to be a movement is actually the people involved have to be in a mode of spiritual growth. And this concept of spiritual growth is frankly addressed in one of the most misunderstood passages in the New Testament. And we're going to be talking about a passage in Hebrews today. And before I read it, I want to make sure you understand where the Hebrews were. So I'm going to go back in case you start reading it ahead of me. All right? After the destruction of the temple, there were Christian Jews who were left with two ways to answer this problem. Now, the reason it was a problem was, even though they were Christians... The temple was still a huge part of their worship. Most of the worship, in fact, took place at the temple. And let's be real here. The temple was a well-oiled worship machine. Listen, guys. It was the best show around when it came to worship. The music, the decorations, the robes. The way they did things, it was a tight schedule. It was an amazing, guys, it was an amazing production. And frankly, if we were a part of a church that had worship that was that well produced, we'd be very impressed. But a show is not a movement. A show, and while there's some need for it, is a kind of a crowd-gathering instrument. But in reality, the Jewish Christians of that time were very comfortable with the well-oiled machine that was temple worship. Because while they still embraced Christ, there were still many concepts of Judaistic worship that they embraced because they understood how Christ was the fulfillment of the Old Testament covenant. And so now they're faced with a couple of problems, right? How do we worship without our temple? We have nowhere to go. Yes, we meet in each other's homes on a daily basis, but the temple's a big part of our big corporate gathering. Do we abandon the religious comforts that we have embraced our whole lives? Do you understand? The way they had worshipped had been one particular way their whole life. 
Also, something else to recognize. Most of these Jewish Christians knew far more about the Old Testament than you will ever know. They had most of it memorized. They had a complete, thorough understanding of what the prophets taught, of what was about the life of David that we just spent half a year looking at. They understood all this stuff. Then they were faced with another question, right? First of all, you know, can we abandon the comforts of temple worship? Do we abandon the religious comforts we've embraced our whole lives? And are the teachings of Jesus and Jesus alone really enough? You guys follow what I'm saying here? Are the teachings of Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings and the gospel and sacrifice and all those things, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head, things like that, are those teachings really enough for us to be close to God without all the trappings of religion, without the good show? You see, for years, they had been used to, even after trusting Christ and being baptized in the name of their rabbi Jesus, for years, they had grown accustomed to this tremendous religious show. They were very comfortable with it. And now they had to ask themselves the question, is Jesus really all I need? What do we do without our temple? The author of Hebrews, some people think it's Paul, some people think it's Peter. There's not really a definitive answer to who actually wrote it, but we know this. The purpose of Hebrews was this, to tell Jewish Christians to stop whining, stop crying, and get busy with being part of a movement. Look, the Gentiles are doing just fine without the temple. You can too. It was a very critical book in some ways. Now, it lays out some amazing theology. It talks about how we're, the, we're all like after the order of the high priest and, and it goes through all these things. It's amazing theology. And if you really like deep theology, then Hebrews is a great book to read. But look what he says in this point. Understand now, these Jews were not lacking in knowledge. They knew more than you or I ever will about the Old Testament. You got that? Way more. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the truth or oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish from good and evil. So let's break down what he says, basically, right? He says, you need to be fed. You're like little babies. Now, these aren't babies who don't know anything. They know a lot. But he says, you're babies. And he sets the, t- the standard. It's not your knowledge base that makes you a baby. Here's what's happened. He says, by this time, that shows that there has been wasted time. There's been a lot of time that has passed since you embraced Christ. And by this time, you ought to be doing this, but you're not. So you've wasted time. You ought to be teachers. There's an example of wasted opportunities. You have had plenty of chances by this time to impact others with what is all you really need, and that is the message of Jesus. You don't need the temple anymore. Get over it. It's done. 
Forget it. And you've been so concerned about your comfort level and your apathy and your love for the good show that you're not teaching other people. So wasted time, wasted opportunities, and wasted truth. He says you need someone to teach you all over again the basics. So you wasted time. And Jewish Christians, you wasted opportunity. And you've wasted the truth that was given to you. That's harsh, isn't it? Now, why did they need to be taught again? Did they forget? I mean, did they forget all the teaching? No, that wasn't the problem. And he talks about this idea of milk and meat. He says, milk is for those who are unskilled, they're babies, but meat is for the mature. So let's talk about this for just a minute. You got the idea of milk versus meat, and there's a, there's a concept that has been floating around the Christian church for I don't know how long, but it's a terrible concept. It's unbiblical. That says, well, milk is simple stuff. You know, salvation, maybe baptism, but meat, that's the real deep theology. That's, the, that's like revelation. Understanding the 70 weeks of Daniel. Prophecy. That's meat. Wrong. Wrong. Remember who he's talking to, the most educated Christians of all time. Right? And he says, you're like babies. You need milk because you can't handle the meat. Why? Because meat is tough to chew. doesn't mean it's hard to understand. It means it's tough to chew. Look what he says here. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have by their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. He doesn't say that milk and meat, the difference is milk is for those who can't understand the deep stuff. And meat is for those who are really smart and really know what the Bible is saying and really dive in. And they study the Word of God for hours every day and they can break down and outline a a chapter in Isaiah and they understand how Revelation ties up to the rest of the... And they understand what, you know, uh, eschatology they, they embrace. And they understand all different types of fancy words about theology. No, he says the only difference between milk and meat is those who drink milk don't know how to practice what they've learned. I can tell you this, I know some Christians who have a lot of knowledge and are babies. I know some Christians who are brand new and they're full of maturity. Let me give an example of a story. Some of you know I coached basketball for years. My first job coaching basketball in Sarasota was actually a middle school girls team. It was actually very fun. And there was a game, it was a close game. We were down by one with like a minute and a half left. And we had the ball, plenty of time, right? And I'm a good coach. So I called timeout. I huddle my team together. Now listen, here's what you're going to do. You're going to pass it here. You're going to set a pick there. You're going to come around around this way. You go this way. Throw you the ball. You shoot and we win. You got it? Yes. Okay. Ready? Team on three. One, two, three. Team. And they go out. Turnover. 
That's okay, we get the ball back. What do I do? Come together. Come here. Now listen, we try this again. You're here, you're there, you set the pick there, you run over here, you pass the ball here, she shoots the ball, we win. You got it? Yes, okay, team, one, three, one, two, three, team! Turnover. I'm pulling my hair out. What is going on? Why? And maybe I'm not a good coach. I don't know. So, no, no kidding. Here's what I did. So, we got the ball back. They didn't score because the other team was terrible too. And so, they, we got the ball back. We're on the sideline. Call a timeout. Come together. Listen carefully. You're over there. You got it? Yeah, coach. What do you do? I run set up. Yes, you come over here. Then you... And what do you, yes, and you throw it, and who shoots? I shoot it, great, and we'll win, right? Yes. Turnover. <laughs> Even though every time we said we know what we're doing, we know what we're supposed to do, one, two, three, team, break, we kept turning the ball over. And I'm speaking to myself when I say this, not just to you, so don't feel like I'm just like yelling at you, Right? I feel like that's what we do at church for years. We get together every week. We make a plan. We have good worship. One, two, three, team. We break up and we go out during the weekend. We turn the ball over. And churches can go years like this. They are mired in their comfort. They have a good show. But they're mired in their apathy and their comfort, and they talk a good game, and they have a good chant at the end of the huddle. They even have good plays. I know some churches that have the best diagrams to explain their structure of ministry. And they say, one, two, three, team, break the huddle, and every week we turn the ball over again. Sometimes I feel like we break the huddle at church with the play drawn up, And we constantly let our own interests get in the way. Look what he says in Hebrews, another part of the book. So let us, and you can almost see he's almost pleading with them. Can we just stop going over the basics of Christianity again And again, let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start all over again with the importance of turning away from evil deeds and placing our our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism and about laying on the hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, can we please just move forward to further understanding? Please. Do we got to keep constantly going back to this crap? Can't we go on to better things now? Why do we have to keep wasting time? He says, we got to leave our comfort behind. We got to stop going over the basics. But the basics are comfortable. I understand that. We've got to grow. We've got to come more mature in our understanding. And remember, he's not just talking about knowledge. Some of you have a ton of knowledge, but you're babes. And I love you. And I know there's areas in my life where I'm a baby too. But we've got to start eating meat, people. Or we are never going to be a movement. I would not classify us yet as an institution. 
There are aspects of our life here in the garden at Church of the Palms that allow us to say that we do have an understanding of what it means to reach out, but we are far from where we need to be. Guys, we got to stop with the milk drinking. Now, it's not easy. I'm not telling you that after this sermon, we should just be able to flip a switch and everything will be fine. That's not what I'm saying, because I know in my own life, it's not that easy. Being part of a movement is not just a resolution. It's a revolution. Why would it be so difficult for them to abandon their temple worship? What was the practice that the author wanted them to embrace? Guys, here's the basic concept of what the author of Hebrews was saying. They were being called to abandon the comforts of the institution. Because the institution did things very well. And people liked coming. But he says, you got to get away from that. Paul was a great example of somebody who left the comforts of institution, was he not? He traveled around, was arrested, was beaten, was thrown in jail, and later killed. He probably didn't miss temple worship very much, though. Let's look at what Acts chapter 2 says. The New Testament church did, and we discussed this a couple weeks ago. I'm just going to read it to you. They joined together with other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, sharing in the Lord's Supper and in prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all. I'm not talking about that feeling you get in your stomach when the music is really good at worship. That's not the awe he's talking about. He's talking about an 8 in the morning on a Tuesday awe. The one that actually changes your decisions. The one that actually makes you take the word of God and have it exercised to discern both good and evil and to leave behind evil deeds. A deep sense of awe came over them and all the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Can you have miraculous things happen in your life without a well-oiled worship machine? Does God require well-oiled worship show to have a miraculous event take place in your life? Can you be amazed at what God is doing in the hearts of the people without powerful worship services? Can we live without the temple? Guys, is the teaching of Jesus Christ enough for us? And all the believers met together constantly, not once a week for a huddle, They met together constantly and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions. They shared their proceeds with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. But then they met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, here's the miraculous part, the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. See, what began to happen in the early first century church, yes, they still met at the temple because that's where they met everybody and that's where everybody went, but the temple became less and less important. And what became more important is the fact that they kept meeting together 
constantly. And whenever one of them had a need, the other one would say, hey, you need a car? Here's my car. You need a place to stay? Here's a place to stay. You need clothes? I got an extra shirt. And the scripture says they were being added daily, those who were being saved. Do you see how the early church bought in? Do you see it? Guys, growth, and we're talking about growth, right? We're talking about not just spiritual growth, but numerical growth, which is something that I think we can aspire to as a church. Certainly it took place in Acts chapter 2. And this idea, I know it's not spiritual for me to say numbers. Numbers aren't important, right? That's what you're supposed to say as a pastor, right? Can I just bear my heart to you? They kind of are. Like if we had 13 people here, I probably wouldn't be very excited. I'm just being honest with you, right? But weeks that I come in and we're clearly growing our impact as we meet together, people say, wow, God's doing something. But I don't want it to be because we have a good worship band. I don't want it to be because I come up with good anecdotes that you laugh at and people say, hey, he's funny, come here and preach. I don't want it to be because we have good special effects or lights. I want to be because people are buying into the fact that your Christianity should not be about your knowledge, should not be about your comfort. It should be about your sacrifice. See, growth is defined as taking truth and turning it into action or making it meet. Growing together and coming together is important, but if you're just coming to get fed, it makes you members of an institution. Milk drinkers. Gaining knowledge, even if it's deep biblical knowledge, you can still be a baby. And babies are cute, but they cry a lot. Right? You follow me? The worst thing that could happen is when a church turns into a homeowners association. Have you ever heard of a, boy, that homo association, that's really a movement right there. (laughs) People coming together and sacrificing for the good of the subdivision. Oh, it's just wonderful. Everybody's garages are open. We're all using our, you know, our wind blowers and lawnmowers and weed eaters. It's great. Out of sugar, no problem. Out of gas for the lawnmower, no problem. Need chlorine for the pool, no problem. Everybody's garage door is open. They wouldn't get anything out of my garage, i tell you that. A movement can only occur when its participants are courageously active, forsaking comfort, just as the Hebrews were encouraged to forsake it, just as the first century church forsook comfort. So question, are you comfortable here in the garden with how we worship? With what we do? Has your church become like the temple? We talked about this last week, or a couple weeks ago, and Bruce alluded to it last week. People join institutions so they can receive, right? We've talked about that. Are you coming to receive? And we talked about how people join movements so they can sacrifice. Are you coming to sacrifice? See, what can begin to happen is you start coming... And you give, and, you know, that's good, but you're really actually purchasing something. And you're a consumer. 
The key is to give in a way that is sacrificial so that other people receive. I have another thing I want to lay down for you today that kind of... Institutions promote comfort until they fall apart and collapse of their own weight, of course. Then it's a travesty and a tragedy and emergency. Like what happened with General Motors a few years ago. That was an institution. Everybody was taking and taking and taking and taking for years. Management, unions, customers, everybody, and the thing collapsed and went bankrupt. But until then, including the city of Detroit, everybody was comfortable. But movements promote urgency. Institutions promote comfort. Movements promote urgency. Is there any sense of urgency with your involvement here at the Garden? See, guys, you cannot have urgency when you're comfortable. Comfort does not breed urgency. Over the next few weeks, we're going to give you some specific things that we believe the Scripture teaches about giving, about sacrifice, about generosity, and being part of a movement. And it will be crucial for us, right, as a congregation, to not be babes in Christ, receiving lots of knowledge, drinking a lot of milk, but we have to have meat. Because if we aren't spurred to action, we're babies. Sooner or later, without action, we will become an institution that will collapse of its own weight. Because babies can't hold their weight. They have to be held. And if we as a congregation have to worry about holding up our members so they don't fall down and hurt themselves, we aren't going to be able to reach out. We aren't going to be a group of mature people. And we will die in our comfort and our apathy. It's time to turn our back on the comforts of good worship and begin to embrace urgency. That was the struggle that the Hebrews faced. In the book of Hebrews, the Jewish Christians in the book of Hebrews, that was the struggle they faced. And from where I stand, looking at my own heart, I believe that's the struggle that we here at the Garden are facing right now. And that's the purpose as we go forward with this series. To get us uncomfortable so we can become urgent. Earlier this week, we had a leadership team meeting um, once a month. Bill Quigley said something that has stuck with me all week. Um, Instead of looking for new things that we can do, why don't we try to be better at what we are already doing? So when we think about a movement, about what happens after we say one, two, three, Jesus, one, two, three, church, one, two, three, whatever it is that we want to say, I was thinking about what we have in this booklet. It's also on the internets. Um,